Blog Talk Radio. Kingway Fox Beard, Mock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempak's hat, Q has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Monday night, uh, not Thursday. It is Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. Welcome to Cadet Training. This is a rekindling of a... Um, a show we used to do when Discovery first aired, and I just thought it might be fun to bring it back and look back at some of the older Star Trek episodes that are relevant to what we're seeing on TV today, hence the return of Cadet Training. We will be live for the next hour. This is just a little short show. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Give us a call. We're going to be talking about Deep Space Nine, Past Tense Part 1, and part two. But before we dive in, let me introduce you to my Trexperts. Let's start out with the Portland gang. We're talking to David. How you doing tonight, David? I'm pretty good. Excellent. We also have with us Paul. You guys know him as the wine guy. How you doing tonight, Paul? Doing okay, man. Battling a little bit of an earthbound cold virus. Oh, is it no. cold a virus? I'm not even. I, I'm embarrassed that I don't even know. But, uh, but uh, compared to the plethora of things one can catch these days, a cold seems pretty tame. So I'm okay. Yeah, with I'll, that. I'll take it and run with it. Absolutely. Exactly. And of course, exactly. rounding out our Portland gang, we have our very own Eric. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing pretty darn good. And yes, I do believe a cold is a virus, which is why you can never catch the same cold twice, as I understand. Uh, so, you know, every time you get one, it's a brand new thing. Enjoy. And I hope you get, oh, I hope, I hope you get well soon, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and rounding out, rounding out my plethora of Trek spurts, we have our very own Charles. He's out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? Uh-oh, Charles is muted. Uh-oh, I guess that's not good. <laughs> I guess, wow, okay, we lost Charles. Charles will be back momentarily. So, like, I'm outnumbered. Like, there's one of me and a bunch of you guys. Wow. Well, don't, we don't think of it that way, Jim. We just think of it as, uh, you know, a bigger team overall, regardless of geographic loca- location. That is, yes, I like that. That's 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 much, much better. So tonight, guys, as I said earlier, we're going to be talking about uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine past tense and what relevance does past tense have to Star Trek Picard? Um, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious, actually. Or is it? 
we're going to talk about it. But before we, uh, let me see if we got Charles back. I think Charles, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Can now hear we me? can hear you. Yes, okay, absolutely. For some reason, I was there and the line went dead. Yeah, I, I went to talk to you and you were gone. But you're back and that's good. So uh, we're going to be talking about past tense and how does it fit in with Star Trek Picard in particular. And for those of you who have not seen Star Trek Deep Space Nine past tense, I've got the uh, little 30-second trailers to play for you guys, and then we'll dive right in. If I can find it, there it is. A transporter accident. The beam was redirected through time, not space. Redirected where? Not where. When? Sends the crew three centuries back in time. This is not the Earth we're used to, Doctor. Into the heart of a full-scale revolution. This place is about to explode. But getting home may mean rewriting history. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And dun, 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 dun. As if that wasn't enough, we have part two. Trapped in Earth's past. I thought we were on the same side here. Think again. Cisco's mission is to save the future. You don't know what any of this is about, do you? But in order to keep history from being altered. Those hostages aren't going anywhere until we get what we want. We move in at 0500. Will he be forced to sacrifice himself? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Well, spoiler alert, if you uh, don't remember this episode from 1995, he doesn't sacrifice himself. Not exactly. So uh, a little bit of of history on this episode. Uh, Past Tense obviously was a two-part episode. It aired in the third season of Deep Space Nine, and it was the first episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that did not feature any scenes on the space station itself. Interesting fact. I was not aware of that. Uh, Part one aired on January 2nd, 1995, and part two aired on January 9th in 1995. Also interesting. At the time that that this episode aired, the Attica prison riot was the inspiration for the bell riots that we see in this episode. The writers were watching TV and they saw the Attica riots and said, aha, Star Trek, let's incorporate it. And they came up with the bell riots. Another little interesting fact. But the biggest interesting fact is that an article appeared in the Los Angeles Times describing a proposal by the then mayor, Richard Riordan, uh, to create fenced-in havens for the city's homeless to make downtown Los Angeles more desirable for businesses. The cast and crew were shocked that this was essentially the same scenario that past tense warned might happen in three decades, but was now being seriously proposed in 1995. And that's pretty scary when you think about it. So um, that's what I got about, about this episode. And as you know, on Star Trek Picard, they go back to San Francisco, not Los Angeles. I'm not familiar with California, but like, how close are they together? Uh, you wouldn't want to walk it. No, you wouldn't want to walk it. No, eight hours apart, or five to eight hours, depending on traffic. <laughs> well, that's not too yeah. bad. That's still relatively close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so mean, Picard and. <laughs> 
no, 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 I can't drive 55, damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I'm that old. Um, so uh, P- Picard and, and Rios and Seven and Rafi, they're all, and the new board queen, are all hanging out in Los Angeles, and Cisco and Bashir are hanging out in San Francisco. Um, I think there's a couple of years difference here, though. Is, uh, nope. Isn't there? Oh, same year. Same year. I, it's, it's 2024, same year, but, baby. But not the same month, uh, I don't think. I think uh, the cards in approximately March 2024. Right. And past presence, I think it's October 2024. Uh, it starts in, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, the, the the riots happen in. Um, uh, I just lost my date here. I had it right here. I think they riots start in August, September. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I want to say August. Right. It's August thirtieth when they first get uh yeah. start the episode, and then the riots happen on like the third or fourth or actually they just say first week of September. They don't give us a date. I don't think. Well, that's okay. We it's 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 close enough for government work. So, uh, anyways, so uh, I forgot to mention Dax is also there. Uh, Dax beams down with them, and Bashir and Cisco end up ending up in uh, District A, Sanctuary City A. Dax fares a little bit better. She hooks up with some rich dude uh, whose name escapes me right now. But, uh, His name is Christopher Brenner, and he yes. is essentially the like the. TV, uh, they used TV as the allegory in the mid 90s. So he's like the main TV guy who, you know, runs the main TV stations. When I look at him, I think the closest interpretation these days would be like a like a Zuckerberg or, or a, he's yeah, a, he's, he's like, like a Zuckerberg that. or a Steve Jobs type. Yeah, yeah but that's, this, uh, he's got a pretty close uh, connection to what's going on. And this is the first change. Right here is the first change that we see between Deep Space Nine or b- between the history of Q, the Q-verse, and the Prime Universe. And that is, in this particular episode of Deep Space Nine, uh, he's like a decent all-around guy, and he wants to help Jadzia, and he, he seems like, you know, the guy down the street type of dude. But, but in Picard, if you read the article in the newspaper on the front page that Q is looking at, uh, he's busting the unions. He's anti-work. He, he's he's a completely different guy than the guy we meet in this episode. So there's one of the changes that we, yeah. that we learn between between the two. Yeah, but again, and, this and is the Q verse. Well, I don't know true. what the so that's, well. So that's the difference. But but I guess one thing that I would like to just mention about that before we move on from that is that I think that that is one of the most interesting kind of juxtapositions between Picard and these episodes, because I think what you're seeing is that it's like, there's a, so there's a rush song called closer to the heart, right? And the opening lyric to that song is those who hold high places must be the ones to start to mold a new reality closer to the heart. And I think what it takes is it takes somebody who's in a high place. It takes a politician. It takes somebody with a lot of money it takes somebody who's got power to actually like cause the tipping point for things to happen. Because honestly, as much as Gabriel Bell was an important part of this episode, 
without Jadzia blinking her eyes and convincing this guy to like put them all on TV, none of this happens. So I guess was this a, was this a, a predestined paradox? I guess. Because, uh, that was one of my questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally because it totally was, like, right? they had it had to, they had to be, always be there for it to always happen. Right. Be, exactly. Because if Jadzia didn't talk to him, they wouldn't have been on TV, and none of this would have happened. Which means Jadzia always had to be there for it to happen. So this was a pre, predestined time paradox. Is so the way the I look at. So the bell in history was always Cisco, and the original yes. bell was always killed. And probably in the Picard verse, like Bell didn't die, and so something else happened, and he didn't get on TV, and that led to something. Well, Jadzia never—they never existed, so right? Jadzia never talked to him. So, so he became an anti-union. I mean, so let's so your eye—you can go cross-eyed going well, trying to figure things, it out. So one of the things about that—that that is the the Jadzia blinky blinky eyes here too, because like I think the only convincing that it takes is for her to just kind of like—I mean, she she forms some some good arguments toward him, but I think it's the fact that he's enamored with her that actually convinces him to do something, to tell you the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I thought that it was it was fabulous to see Clint Howard in this episode again, but he wasn't running around with Tranya this time. Um, I thought, <laughs> you know, I thought that was great, you know. He's like, I'm invisible. I know. And she was like, we can see you. Well, like, <laughs> but just a little bit. Just a little bit. You know, just a little bit. I thought that was great to see Clint Howard again. It was just a little, little, little Easter egg there, but that was that was neat. So they get captured, and they end up in this this sanctuary district, and there's hostages, and they have ghosts, gimmies, and who are the other ones? Dims. Ghosts, gimmies, and and dims. Yes. Uh, so they have three different uh, race. Uh, I don't know what you call them. Well, Inside the well, sanctuary, right? Yeah. I mean, it's basically the dims are the people that they have said could benefit from some medical attention. I believe that's what the woman uh, that they they give them their credit chips and stuff at the beginning says. The gimmies are the people who are mentally healthy and actively looking for jobs but can't get anything because the economy sucks. And the ghosts are the people who go and beat people up, right? Yeah, like the crazy guy running around in this episode there. Yeah, the clockwork orange guys. Yeah, that yeah, that that guy. So I, I have I believe it or not, I do have a couple of clips I wanna play to discuss. You guys up for a clip? Clip it. Let's let's clip it away, baby. When I first started working here I processed a woman who had a warrant out on her for abandoning her kid. She couldn't take care of him. So she left him with a family and she worked for over in the marina. I felt so sorry for her. I didn't log her in. I, I just let her disappear into the sanctuary. Well, that was very kind of you. Almost got me fired when my supervisor found out. What happened to this woman? I don't know. But I think about her all the time. 
since then, I've just done my job, you know. Try not to let it get the best of me. It's not your fault that things are the way they are. Everybody tells themselves that. And nothing ever changes. So the reason why I picked this particular clip is because I felt that the whole episode basically centers on the plight of the sanctuary. But I thought this clip showed that the, the people that were running the sanctuary, like, like her and Mr. Futterman, the, the guards, that, that they're all part of the bigger issue and that neither, none of them are happy with what's going on, but nothing is changing. Nothing's, nothing's being done. And I just, I wanted to play that just to make that point that, you know, the people that did have jobs working in the sanctuary didn't necessarily want to be part of the sanctuary or didn't really want things to be the way they were. But like Eric said, nobody, nobody cared enough to make a change. Yeah. I wondered if the people who were working for the sanctuary, I mean, there was that one guy, the one guard who kept talking about how he just wanted to go home and be safe with his wife. I wondered if they didn't live in the sanctuary, like they traveled outside the sanctuary city. That was a little unclear to me uh, whether they lived in it or lived out of it. I think they lived out of it, Uh, but I love that. Yeah, go ahead. I think the fact that I believe that those that worked in the sanctuary actually lived in San Francisco. They didn't actually live in the sanctuary. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a, it's, like a, it's like a prison officer. He doesn't actually live there. He just comes and works. But I love and how this one goes on. Yeah, and this one right. says, you know, she thinks about that person that she saw every day, the person who had to make the ultimate hard decision and actually give up her kid because she realized it was better for the kid to give him up than it was for her to hang on to him. I mean, that's, that's powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah, that's, that's why I, <clears throat> excuse me. That's why I picked that particular clip. I, it just, it, it struck a chord when I was watching the episode because a lot of times you look at these things and there's always more than one side to every issue. And this particular one, it was like, well, the bell riots, it's all these people that don't have jobs, the ghosts, the dims, the gimmies. It's all their fault. They're the cause for all of this. And, and here you have this woman who's working in there who's saying, well, no, I, I feel the same problems that they feel, but I'm on the other side. So I thought that made the point. Sanctuaries were a great place to dump people. If they didn't have some place to live, that's where they had to be dumped and forgotten about. They just yeah, exactly. people somewhere where they could forget about them. Well, and there's that thing that Bashir says at the beginning, which I think is, is also one of the most powerful concepts about these sanctuary cities, is he talks about how, um, you know, in some respects, he can understand hating somebody else uh, for who they are or what, you know, what they stand for. But what he just cannot wrap his head around is complete apathy for another human being. Like, he doesn't understand why people could literally just ignore the plight of the people around them 
And, you know, I mean, if you cannot draw a direct line from that, I mean, that they were doing that in the mid nineties. They were talking about that. Here we are 27 years later. And I will tell you, my friend, like when you walk down the street, you know, do you, do you look the guy who's asking you for money in the eye? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, do you uh, do all you can to help the person next to you? Maybe, maybe not. You know, there's just a lot of, Maybe you actively don't care about people. Maybe you, maybe you do. I, I mean, everybody's on a different scale, but point is it's, it's about this like empathy versus apathy thing that I think is a very strong theme in Picard, in Discovery, and in this episode. And, and I really like Bashir in this particular episode. I think he's, you know, he helps that woman. He, that woman, we, we listened to the clip, uh, he went and got uh, drugs for her to help her. And I really liked, I really liked that even though he's in this situation, he's still a doctor and he still cares for people. He still wants to help them. So I thought I, I really liked that aspect of his character. Um, but the whole, the whole sanctuary thing, we haven't seen a sanctuary city exactly on Picard. We did see a little tent city where the guy tries to rob Rafi, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen something called a sanctuary city. I'm assuming, like, even if they don't name it, uh, that we've seen it uh, or something very similar. They do uh, say in past tense that um, that they're in all major cities around the United States at this time. Well, so. we don't call them. We don't tend to call them right now sanctuary sanctuaries. We tend to call them because. Yeah. I don't know how many towards your area, but I know around here we've got many areas that are heavily populated by homeless, including I'm seeing more and more just finding spots of sidewalk to sleep. Well, I mean, that's true, Charles, but I think there's an important difference between like your modern day tent city and the sanctuary city cities of past tense. And that is that in past tense, these areas are set up by the government and people are put into these areas to live. So it's not like people who are going out and kind of setting up their own thing. Right. And then the jurisdiction decides whether they're going to allow them to do that or not in, or in, in DS9, it's like, no, the government set them up and they put the people here. And then everybody came up with the slang for the people who live in these things. So Little, little different, I think, because um, it's not by choice. Little Nobody different, but choice. not too far. Yeah, no, you're right. It's very similar. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if, um, if somebody in the card might stay behind to set up this whole thing, because, wow. I mean, Rios almost sounds like he's gonna actually stay behind, not go back. That's how I got it, gathered it. But um, to me, I'm wondering if somebody from the card ends up staying behind and uh, starts to set up the sanctuary because of everything as we're going forward in the card, you're going to probably notice more and more people uh, who are needing help. And so I'm wondering if this is a case that's going to happen in a way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, <laughs> Picard, and this is, this is, Picard is happening in the, in the Q-verse. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to call it. Um, it's the Q universe. Uh, this was the world created by Q when Q did whatever Q did, which we don't know what he did yet. That, that's the Q verse. So I don't, whatever happens in the Q verse, I 
don't know what what, how, what relevance is going to have on the prime universe because it's a Q created thing, right? It's true, yeah. but we got some we got some good parallels. So, what's the first thing that uh, Bashir and Cisco notice after they wake up? They notice that their communicators are gone, and guess what? They never find by the end of this two part episode their communicators. So there's an example yeah. of, of Star Trek like not having any consequences, and I wonder if Picard won't somehow like it'd be sweet. I know it's in the Q verse. But it'd be sweet if they made a little tie there somehow to that, because they already did sort of with Rios losing his, and I don't think he ever got it back either. Yes, he did. Oh, did he? He did. Yeah, because the doctor had it, and and he called he called Rafi to send the the neural scanner to save Picard. So she gave okay. it back to him. Well, okay. we didn't see okay. her give it back to him, but the last time okay. we saw it, she said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this for safekeepings," and she walked away holding it and then we never saw it again and then in the past episode monsters he uses it to call rafi so I've, i'm she gave it back to him at some point we just didn't see it because hmm. okay. somehow he got it and she had it so uh she gave it to him somewhere somehow but i do have a, another clip here once they were out of sight what then i mean Look at this man. There's no need for him to live like that. With the right medication, he could lead a full and normal life. Maybe in our time. Not just in our time. There are any number of effective treatments for schizophrenia, even in this day and age. They could cure that man now, today, if they gave a damn. It's not that they don't give a damn. They've just given up. The social problems they face seem too enormous to deal with. That only makes things worse. Causing people to suffer because you hate them is terrible. But causing people to suffer because you have forgotten how to care, that's really hard to understand. They'll remember. It will take some time and it won't be easy. But eventually people in this century will remember how to care. You know, it's funny. That's the very same clip that Eric was talking about. <laughs> yep. It's, yeah. It's funny yeah, that I picked the same exact clip. It's, it's almost <laughs> like you planned it that way. <laughs> but I mean, it's true, right? That's the the empathy versus apathy thing is a very strong theme in Star Trek these days, and I, I'm digging it. Yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely, absolutely. I think that Bashir is onto something in the in the perfect world of Star Trek. There is no money. There, none of this exists. They have replicators. They, they get everything that they need to survive. It's just, it's, it's there. Whereas now, it's not. If you don't have money, you don't get your medicine. It's that simple. You well, know, so everything me, involves around. So before I say this, Jim, let me ask you if you're gonna, are you gonna play the clip where they, where Bashir says something about, I wonder what would happen to the Federation if, are you gonna play that, that clip, or can I, I mention I, that now? I do have another clip, but I'm not sure if that's the clip or not. Well, the one I was just thinking about is a nice tie to Discovery Season 3, because at one point, Bashir and Cisco are walking along chatting with each other, and he's like, you know, this is all like a problem with lack of resources and lack of will. Um, you know, what would happen in our time if something were to happen to the Federation? 
And I just thought about the burn instantly um, when he said I think, that. I think I have that clip. No way. Wait, yeah. <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like the clip I picked. Wait, okay. Does anyone want to jump in and say anything about the clip I just played before I play another clip? Anybody? That's all I can okay. think of. No. All right. Go ahead. All right. Well, I, I have another clip, and I, I think it's the clip you're talking about. What is this place? Sanctuary District. 21st century history is not one of my strong points. Too depressing. It's been a hobby of mine. They made some ugly mistakes, but they also paved the way for a lot of things we now take for granted. I assume this is one of those mistakes. A bad one. By the early 2020s, there was a place like this in every major city in the United States. Why are these people in here? Are they criminal? You know, people with criminal records weren't allowed in the sanctuary districts. Then what do they do to deserve this? Nothing. Just people. Without jobs or places to live. So they get put in here? Welcome to the 21st century, Doctor. I, I cut the clip before they right before Bashir yeah. said what you were just talking about yeah. but huh. same clip yeah so i don't know do you guys think they got it they had it right back in the mid 90s do you think that uh you know have they now predicted it correctly are we doomed is it okay like what do you guys think yeah <laughs> <laughs> i, I really was I worry with the economy, if it drops again, how many people are going to end up on the streets? Mm-hmm. And they, the government is saying they have to do something about it. Well, as far as Picard goes, I'm not, I'm not positive. Uh, people are saying, well, well, he's going to meet Cisco. He's not going to meet Cisco because it's the Q-verse. So the Federation doesn't exist, so he can't go back in time. So we're not going to see an Avery Brooks appearance on Picard. That's just isn't going to happen, unfortunately. Well, when it's a Q-verse, but when they went back in time, didn't they go back to the Prime-verse? No. Didn't they switch parallels? No, they went back in time from the time, from the, the time that Q created. They were in the. Yeah, they I were mean, in the queue. This may be one of the. This is. We talked about this a couple times. But this might be one of the hiccups in Picard is that they absolutely went back from the time that Q had put them in, which was an alternate future. And so the question is, when they go back in time, they should still be in that alternate future, right? Because they're not traveling betwixt universes. They're only traveling back in time. And right. so the, and so the only way that it could be considered the prime universe, which maybe is what David is saying, is that if you travel back in the Q-verse far enough, it should intersect with the prime timeline at some point. Right? Yeah. Because there was some, cause Q says something happened, you know, your hubris caused Bernabur, whatever he says, to Picard. Uh, yeah, so they yeah. went back yeah. in time to fix the situation. But so I, they, they could get back to the normal time and back to the Federation. Yeah, I think we're both right. Yep. It is the Q-verse, and if you go back far enough in the Q-verse, maybe it gets you back to an intersection with the, time, the prime timeline. Yeah, but, speaking I'm, I'm of, but speaking of intersections, Jim, are you going to let, – let's talk about the TOS 
uh, intersections with this. I know we've got uh, you and we've got Paul, you know, a couple of pretty big TOS guys. Um, and this episode must obviously remind you of at least one TOS episode, right? Well, I'm thinking of the, of Carl myself, Yeah. yeah. you know, where, where that, where Kirk has to let Edith Keeler die. Yeah. Right. And I, uh, do we still have Paul? Yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah, like, I mean, did you notice the similarities between these, Paul, the, the, you know, that, that episode from TOS? Yeah, you know, I mean, they're all very similar, right? I mean, all the ones we're talking about, basically, they're, you know, they're dealing with periods of tremendous, you know, social upheaval, right, where, where, you know, folks are really divided, and there's, you know, uh, things seem at their low point, and they're kind of leaning towards, you know, larger conflict or war or totalitarianism. And, uh, and with a little bit of a shove, it's going to head in that direction, right? I mean, that was definitely the case in sitting on the edge forever, you know, and then that's how Picard this season starts. It starts with the totalitarian state already have, having been established, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so the, question, so the question, so I guess we already asked the question about whether this was a predestined thing then, just like Edith Keeler had to die, um, I guess uh, Cisco had to travel back in time and, and Bell had to die and this kind of all had to go down because otherwise you had to wouldn't have it and everything on the air, right? Well, so we it's, the, we like but at the end of the day, it's like it's, it's hard to apply like... Because all of a sudden I realized there was no federation at one point. Right. Because they were in a protected time bubble. Oh, okay. <clears throat> So that if that were a fixed time period, that wouldn't happen. What were you saying, Paul? Um, I was going to just say, you know, it's it's hard to you. It, you guys crack me up a little bit because, like, you you're, you're ascribing the idea of like, you know, there being like rules to all this stuff, right? Like, well, it's, you know, you got a head and it's like can. at the end of the day, this is like stuff that you know, it's the rules are whatever serves the screenplay for these guys the easiest, right? It's like there's no it's whatever they need to do to get away with something, they're going to do it. And I, I think in this case, the, the thing that we still don't know, right, is there's a big, we talk about the Q-verse and all this stuff, but there's a, there's a big unpredictability from Q's perspective. He's lost his powers. And how come? What's that all about? You know, I think that's, in, in this timeline, I want to know what caused that and how he's not aware of that and how that unrolls from the future that they're trying to, avoid uh, ending up in. And what's, what's interesting is in City on the Edge of Forever, when McCoy goes back in time, saves Edith Keeler's life, the Federation doesn't exist, and we see this alternate timeline where the Nazis took over the entire globe. Um, would that be the equivalent of what we saw in Picard with the new Q-verse? I'm a, yeah, I'm a I think so. Of, right? It's the same same thing. So <laughs> we're basically seeing that same thing only from a different perspective. Only yeah, now we uh, have you and not the Guardian. That's right. Carl. So, yeah. This one's, it's, got, it's, this one's got a little bit stronger message, though, because I think the message from past tense is that apathy leads to fascist regimes, whereas... In City on the Edge of Forever, it was more like um, 
I mean, I guess it was because she was like the social. It was because of her death that like people became aware of of things and kind of. So yeah, I, it, it revolves around these kind of key people um, that are that have to do the thing that they need to do. <laughs> right. And in City on the Edge of Forever, let's not forget too. It's it's bitterly ironic. The whole mm-hmm. thing, right? It's it's awful because reason the reason the Nazis take over in that episode and is because of a growing pacifist movement that she was responsible for, right? She was doing good. She was trying to change society and drive everyone away from war. And as a result, it delayed America's entry into the Second World War, and it gave the Germans time to develop their V-2 rockets, and they took over the entire world. So it's, it's, it's awful. When you really think about it, I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, a fascist justification behind it because it's like saying that, oh, by, the, you know, by her doing the good that she did you know, and, and trying to actually get down and roll her sleeves up hmm. and help society, she ended up sort of destroying society and ended up you know, inadvertently her good intentions led to you know, uh, totalitarianism. So it's really it's, – it's, it's bitter irony in terms of the way that script is described, right? It's, it's really sad. Wow. And we don't know – we don't know yet what, what Q did to change the everything into what we saw in the beginning of Picard. We're not sure. We think it's, it's Renee, but now we got this soon thing going on with, with the genetics, the eugenics thing happening, and you know we, we got Q losing his power. So there's a lot of things going on, and we don't know exactly which one of them is the tipping point. What yeah. if it's not Q's fault? What if someone else did it to make Q lose his power? I mean, Q lost his power before, and I mean, could be another Q that we don't know of. So I don't know. I don't know. It sounded to me like Q blames Picard for it all. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, we don't know why yet, but um, you know, he said right in that first episode where he shows up um, something about how uh, I can't remember what the line is. Something about his the road not taken. Yeah. Yeah, and that's oh, I. I have I have my theory about that, uh, but we'll talk. We can talk about that on Thursday. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but uh, as far as this one goes, um, the, this particular episode directly ties into Picard with the Sanctuary Cities, and that's exactly the time frame where Picard is. Except Picard is in a different universe than where Cisco and Bashir are. I think that's the point that needs to be understood. Right, but but the printer guy is still in this universe. Mm-hmm. Well, right, right. in the newspaper article. Right. Right. And, yeah. Well, that and maybe worse. and maybe made a different decision or was a different kind of guy or something. But yeah. Yeah, totally. I don't think we'll see him. But the fact that just these, you know, that they're describing him in that one headline as being like anti-union, that that doesn't bode well, right? That's kind of a negative yeah. connotation right there. So it kind of implies he's still. Uh, you know, a squirrely dude, but you know, I, I somehow don't think we'll see him because like you said, I mean, this is all focusing in this episode, this season in uh, Los Angeles, you know, about 400 miles to the South. So it's, it's different than what we just saw in the deep space nine episode. But uh, I think one other thing I just point out is just like the, you know, if Warden, uh, you talking about, you know, Eric's talking about empathy and all that is it was really interesting watching these episodes again, to pay attention to uh, the party guests at, uh, at uh, Brenner's party, right when uh, when uh, Jed Z is there, and they are just awful. They're 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, he just went skiing and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, wherever, you know, and uh, I had to Switzerland. And, and they, they just and they just have nothing but the most like, you know, gum on my shoe disdain for the people living in the sanctuary cities. Right? They're just like they're they're not even human to them. So I mean, they seem like they're already leaning into this elitist totalitarian mindset, right? Because they've stopped having empathy and they've stopped even seeing these societal problems as anything that, uh, not that you could even change, but even acknowledge from there, they're that far gone. So it's just like, that's, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, worth paying attention to. Well, would, would, they would be the one percenters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the half of the half of percenters. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're you're right because did you, did you ever see the movie? Uh, the, I'm I'm really old here. A 1975 movie with James Con Rollerball. Oh yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. When when they're at the party and they pull out the gun and they're blowing up all the trees just for fun. Yeah. And these people have Very no similar. clue about what's going on, and it, that's what that's what I thought of when she was at the party. I thought of of these rich people at this party that are blowing up the trees because they just don't care, phase them at all. Yeah. It's an amusement, but it has no consequences to them. Yeah. It doesn't matter to them at all. And Jazia just was just sickened by the whole thing. Yeah. Like I said, I think the fact that Brenner was receptive to some of the things that she was trying to share about that with him, because obviously she's, she's sickened by it because she comes from a future where there's the Federation and it's supposed to scarcity society and stuff. And the thing is, is that Brenner had to get to where he was in 2024 on the backs of other people. And so for him to have, if I were to suspend, you know, like Paul says, it's, it's, it's just a show, but like in some ways you have to um, suspend disbelief because would you ever get a Zuckerberg type or, or somebody like that to, you know, risk losing everything that they have to get a, a, the word out um, for the good of humanity. It, man, I would be hard pressed to, to, to believe that that would ha- actually happen these days. But it's because that happens um, that all the events of this episode are are able to take place. You know, it's because the Vulcans come down in first contact that we're able to like dig our way out of a nuclear war. You know, so it's these. I guess if I were to look at kind of like the 50,000 foot view of, of what does Star Trek teach when it shows us things like this, it's that you, you, can't, um, you can't take the little moments for granted. You, you know, when opportunity presents itself, you have to carpe diem, man. You got to seize that. You got to make things happen. And if you become too passive or too apathetic about life, it's just going to it's just going to roll on by and the people who are paying attention are going to take control as a result. Man, this is downer. What are we going to do? No, no, no. What it is, Paul, is it's a call to action. Wow. No, I, no, I mean, it's, it's no, I I think you're right. If you look, if you look around, just look out your window, just look at what's going, look what happened in Portland not too long ago. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if you if you look around, I really think that that now more than ever, we need Star Trek. We need the message oh, yeah. behind Star Trek. We need it bad <laughs> right now. And uh, there's too many people. It's us. You're either with me or you're against me. 
There's us and there's them. And there's no, we're, 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 there's no unity. We're not humanity. Or, we're Republicans. We're guy. Democrats. We're right. We're left. We're liberal. We're this. We're that. We're black. We're white. We're gay. We're straight. There's so many labels that's hanging on so many different people that people just can't see that regardless, we're all people. And we, we need Vin, that message right now. That's we right. need Vin to says that at the beginning of this episode, he's the old man. Remember when he says that, Jim, he says something like, um, you know, you guys can go be by yourselves if you, if you want to, but nothing's going to change unless you come and we all work together. That's the thing. We got to all work together for something to be different. Exactly. And, and I, you know, this is the, this is the reason why I'm a Star Trek fan. This is what I love about Star Trek. And this is the thing when I hear people saying, well, new Star Trek is not Star Trek. It's not real. And I want to laugh at them. Or the thing that gets me more, it's too woke for me. It's wokeness. It's too political for me. And I'm like, dude, dude, come out of the closet. Where have you been? For God's sakes. This is what Star Trek tells us. And this is what I believe in. This is, this is why I'm a Star Trek fan right there. Look, look at our buddy Ray. Look at our buddy Ray. You know, yeah. Call sure. us the Call phone. He, yep. Yeah, for for he listened to our show. His wife came on the show uh, for support. That's what it's all about. I've never met Ray. You know, I've been to I've been down there. My family is from Brooklyn, not from the Bronx, but still. Um, but the very fact that even though we've never met, he he calls the show for support, and that's what it's all about. People helping people, people being there for people, reaching out to people that they don't know, total strangers, and getting that helping hand or that support or that nudge that they need. That's what it's all about. I'm getting on my soapbox, but anyway. Okay, Jim, do you have, if you have another clip, you better play it here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I have to, those, those are the end of my clips. Okay. <laughs> those are my clips. But, so I just got to ask you a question, though. Yeah. Guys, when you were watching this two-parter, I'm assuming everybody watched it again recently, right? But, yeah. But did you – Eric, it sounds to me like you were kind of feeling uh, a little bit of selfless benevolence from Brenner. Did you trust him? You thought he was okay? And well, then he was convinced – Was he? you thought he was legitimately, genuinely swayed by Jadzia to do a selfless act? No. No, 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 no. I did not mean to imply that. I, I guess what I'm saying is that um, to me, there was a little bit of the, the beautiful woman walks into the room and convinces the rich dude that what the right thing to do is vibe to that. And I don't know if I like that, but the part, but the, but the, the kernel of awesomeness that I took out of that was, okay, it is these small moments that make big differences. So even okay. if it was so, like, but he's, he's motivated thing, because he thinks it's going to get him in her I favor. So, so I speak. mean, that's the way I read it. I certainly didn't read it as, you know, because the, he argues with her every single time she brings something up, right? She, he's always like, yeah, but this and she, like, yeah, but that. And she's like, yeah, but they're people. And he's like, well, well, you're pretty good looking, so okay. Yeah, but he just—I never trust him for a second, man, because yeah. it's just like we, you know, he's just another one of these super powerful dudes. And I, uh, though, you know, I gotta be at least as old as Uncle Jim, if not older. 
but it's just like the older I get, I just feel like the the society we're in, like right now, it's it's like populated by Bond villains, right? I mean, in, in terms of who all these cats are, I look at Elon Musk, right, and I'm waiting for him to announce the RoboCop project. I mean, it's just like you know, surely that's the next thing coming, right, from this guy. He wants to take over Twitter. He's just like you know, he's launching everything in outer space. I mean, what are you going to launching in outer space? It's going to like unspool these giant bond antennas that are going to disintegrate everything. I just, you know, none of these, you know, uh, we know well, you know, delusionally powerful guys uh, ever, ever have our best intentions at heart. And I feel like we're getting that same message from, from Deep Space Nine. We're getting it certainly from Picard is watch out for these dudes in high positions of power who seem like they are, you know, have your best interest in heart, but they certainly don't have the idea of unity. Well, they what seem was to have domination in heart. What yeah. was it that Uncle Ben said? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what Uncle Ben told Peter I mean, Parker. What, that's what um, that's what always causes the downfall of society is people abusing power, right? Absolutely. But, but I just I don't want to leave it on a downer because the point is that Star Trek always shows us a hopeful future, right? And it is based on us working together and finding our way through the muck. And that Star Trek never says life ain't life is fair. <laughs> like Star Trek never says that, right? Um, uh, it's a little hard to get to post-scarcity uh, post society without infinite supplies of things, uh, which I think the burn taught us in Discovery. And here we are talking about it again in past tense. We're talking about how the government doesn't apparently have the resources to feed all these people. Now, this episode does not go into why the government doesn't have resources to feed the people, but I suspect it's corruption and oligarchy and all the things that you know would, would cause that abuse of power. But the people can always rise up and the people can always correct things because there's always more of us than them. That's, that's kind of what I take out of that. This is true. This is true. But that's a conversation for another day because <laughs> we, we've, we've only got a few minutes left to go. And, and I do have a couple of things I want to mention about this episode. So in 2015, Geek.com recommends this episode as essential watching for Deep Space Nine binge watchers. A sci-fi rank past tense as the seventh best time travel plot in Star Trek. In 2016, The Hollywood Reporter rated past tense part one and part two as the 47th best television episode of all Star Trek franchise. And in 2016, The Hollywood Reporter ranked this episode as the 11th best Star Trek episode of Deep Space Nine. And in 2020, Sci-Fi Now ranked this one of top 10 episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So that's what the critics had to say about this episode. And uh, Eric, what do you say about this episode? Is this episode as relevant today as it was in 1995? Yeah, I think the social commentary is absolutely still relevant. I think the lessons that it teaches are absolutely still relevant. Um, I think the episode is a little dated here and there. You know, I think that there are some things that they would probably change or update if they were to do another similar episode these days. Um, you know, the main villain, BC or whatever his name was, I didn't, like, he's just kind of, 
I call him Kid Rock. You know, he's got that hat, and he just is kind of annoying and doesn't is not an awesome character in this. But generally speaking, strong episodes. Probably could have been an episode and a half. I don't know if it was a full double episode. It was probably more than one, though. So I'm going to give this one a, a solid 8.2. Very good. Not the top of my list, but uh, but definitely still relevant to um, today's society. And crazy weird how it's only a couple years away. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. How about you, David? What do you think? You agree with the critics? Yeah, I think it's relevant. Um, I, I'm, I'm surprised that because when actually when I first watched it a long time ago, I didn't realize it was actually 2024, and I didn't realize how close we were to it. So <laughs> when I was thinking back on it, I'm like, you know what? That's that's really close, and uh, I can't believe that it could be a reality if it ever does come true. But who knows? But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely thinking that this story plot is, uh, is probably definitely relevant from what uh, we've been talking about. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to give this episode a seven because I'm only giving that because I haven't watched it in a while. And I'm actually thinking about rewatching it right when we get done here, but um, I might give it a better score once I've watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. And how, how about, how about you, Charles? What do you think? Is it still socially relevant today? Watching it, I think it still is, it still is relevant. How many governors were willing to sit there and say, "Yeah, go ahead and just send the forces in to take out the protesters"? And there, the governor went in and just said, "Okay, go ahead and take it easy." Well, we're still trying to bargain. Well, no, forget it. We just yeah. went over with. Yeah. And, yeah, the government, I think some governments are still taking views that way. And I think that is pointing us in the wrong direction. In fact, I think Jim missed one clip, and that was the final scene, when Bajir said, how do we, how did they let it go that far? And trying to find answers for that, it's like how'd you get how'd you get that far into problems? Which I think is a good question right now is can we can we prevent such an occurrence from happening? I'm gonna put up to an eight point five. I think this is one of them that still sticks in there and gives us a target of what what we should try going for and not going for. Right. And and uh Paul, you get the caboose on this one, buddy. Hi, buddy. Everybody uh, else and now you get to wrap it all up for us. Yeah, I got to say 8 8.5 or in there just because uh we got to support shows that are willing to take a hard look at societal problems because not enough shows are, you know, they're they're not. I'm pretty sure that uh the character of Brenner is the current governor of Florida. <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's there's a lot of you know a lot of so many distractions in society right now, and and so many things that people are uh, preoccupied with. It's very easy to just let stuff steamroll over you, and we need weather vanes like this kind of storytelling to remind us that uh, that if we're not careful, you know that's what science fiction's purpose is. It's basically the cautionary tale, right? If we're not careful, 
it's pointing down into the dark corner, right? The dark hallway. You're going to end up going down that place you don't want to go. So it's those cautionary warnings. We gotta gotta be on their side. Uh, a shocking takeaway for me was how badly Deep Space Nine needs to be remastered. Oh my God! Uh-huh. When, you, when you compare it with like. Uh, I mean, it's apples and oranges in terms of the way it was shot, but compared with the recent, you know, restoration work that's been done on like next gen, right? Oh my God, it's, uh, okay. it needs it so badly, friends. Really, uh-huh. really. Uh, oh. I mean, that documentary on Deep Space Nine did really, really well. So there's yeah, clearly an audience out there for it. Invest the money. You need to see that documentary to find no, out why it. they don't do it. Yeah, I think they still yeah. should. I think there's plenty of, uh, plenty of. Uh, Audience out there, but they got to do something. It, it, it is not looking its best, but uh, but the writing and, sure holds up. That's for sure. If you think about it, this this episode came out in 1995, and it, the the episode took place in 2024. You know, ten years later than the episode aired, and here we are in 2022, yep. and we're looking we're looking back at this episode that was written in 1995, and the events that are portrayed in this episode are still extremely relevant today and i i could easily see that happening today right now and nobody would care which is the sad part i don't know if there's enough people like eric would say there's more of us than there are of them but how many of us would actually stand up and and do the right thing if called upon to do the right thing. It's one thing to say, I know what the right thing is. And it's one thing to point your finger and say, those people are doing the wrong thing and we should be doing this. But to actually stand up and do it is a different thing. And at this point where our society is right now and what I see when I look around, I'm I'm really disheartened to say that I don't know how many people are out there that would do the right thing. And that's why we need to have Star Trek to show people this is what is possible. And all you need to do is stand up, stand up and do the right thing. Even if it's the hardest thing to do, the hardest thing to do is often the best thing to do. I'm getting on my soapbox again. Anyways, (laughs) does it make you feel better that I shut up? Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Okay. So I've I've said my piece. <laughs> That's it. So listen, guys. I want to let you know Thursday night. Uh, last week we talked with with Dorothy Bulak Erickson, and my God, was that a great conversation? Um, if you guys didn't hear it, oh man, go back and listen to it. She's a plethora of knowledge. And uh, she had a great time on the podcast, and she wants to come back on and talk with us again in the future, which we definitely will do. Thursday night, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Picard Monsters, which was the episode that was on on uh, Thursday night. So you want to definitely want to check that out. And head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Give us a like, give us a follow. That way you'll never miss the podcast. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and I want to say thank you to so much to my Trek experts. So thank you so much, David, for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Yeah, of course. It was really fun. And thank you to Paul, the wine guy. Oh, and by the way, um, I heard back from Heather Torres at Star Trek Wines, and they definitely want to work 
with us again. They they really were impressed with the wine guy, with what Eric and Paul, what you guys were doing. And when they release their new wines, they definitely want to get back with us again and do more fireside chat. So that's pretty cool. So. Excellent. We are the cheapest, most enthusiastic marketing engine money can buy. That's right. <laughs> so yep. A little they, wine will yeah. be good. That's right. So just I keep just sending us our models and we'll be there. Yep. And we'll be there. So thank you so much for hanging out with us and Trek talking. Well, we weren't actually Trek talking, but thanks for hanging out with us tonight, Paul. It's my pleasure. You guys take care. I know we got into some deep, heavy terrain tonight, but these are deep, heavy times, right? So it's good to be able to uh, have the, the optimistic beacon of uh, science fiction and uh, fellowship to point the right way. So thanks, friends. And we, we, we will lighten it up a lot more on Thursday night, I promise. It'll be a much lighter, much more fun show. There might be a few rabbit holes, but in the end, it's going to be a lot of fun on Thursday. So, And, of course, thank you so much to our very own Charles for hanging out with us tonight and Trek Talking. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. I was actually having a day off, so I actually could join in on this event. So I'm glad we could do it. It's always fun, isn't it? And, of course... We wouldn't be doing it without Eric. So thank you so much for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, Eric. Thank you. You better believe it. Thanks, guys. That was fun. And next, next, I believe next, next Monday, we're going to tackle an animated series episode. We're going to talk about yesteryear. And uh, we've talked about it before. I'm pretty sure that we have. But with, with, uh, with uh, the Guardian of Forever getting a name, now we know he's actually named Carl. And which is interesting. And we also know what's going to be happening on Strange New Worlds. We have a little bit of information about that. And of course, we all time travel stuff that's going on in Picard. I just thought it might be fun to go back and take a look at yesteryear and how they handled the Guardian of Forever and time travel on Star Trek, the animated series. So if you guys are listening, please check out yesteryear, the animated series. You can find that on Paramount Plus now. And we'll be talking about that on Monday, same bat time, same bat channel. So without any further ado, guys, please stay safe and be good to each other. I'm your host, Uncle Jim, saying hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Hey, y'all. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.